everybody, and welcome to another episode of Colubrid and Colubroid Radio. Uh, Zach here, as always, and um, Clint is here as well. How you doing, man? Doing fantastic, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, doing great. Uh, big week for my students and I. Um, we have our, our crayfish meeting at the end of the week. Uh, we're going to Chattanooga, so I have to get a talk ready for that on top of all the other stuff to, to leave for uh, the second half of the week. So that's been my my main focus for the past couple of days. My son is sick. Um, there's nothing quite like a biological weapon, <laughs> children that you share DNA with. <laughs> so I never got sick. Then I had a child, and then he gets sick. There's a 50-50 chance of getting it, and this time, unfortunately, I'm getting it. So if I sound a little weird, that's what's going down on that front. But, yeah, that's with me. How about you? You know, I'd say it's, there hasn't been much changed, you know, since the last time we recorded and I'm disappointed by that, (laughs) if that makes (laughs) sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I I just uh, said to one of the associates here today, I go, I'm as guilty of this, if not more so than anyone else here. But before we start any more projects, we sure as hell need to finish (laughs) <laughs> the dozen projects that we have scattered out and it's, you know, I keep, there's so much I want to do so many things I want to get rolling. And I'm thinking just stop and mm-hmm. do the one in front of you. Let's get this knocked out, then move on. So we don't have a, you know, a bunch of half finished uh, things everywhere. So uh, other than that, um, I, you know, it dawned on me that I'm just a few weeks away from warming up colubrids already. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where did that go? I expected to get so much accomplished, you know, during the time frame of having them down, but that just wasn't the case. Uh, but, uh, all in, um, we've got the first, uh, quote unquote period done, uh, for the, for the store. Uh, and what I mean by that is that's, that's almost like saying the first month, uh, except I like to okay. end on a Saturday, you know, so I don't do January. I mm-hmm. do periods throughout the year. Uh, so the first period's in and it was a, I mean, just a wild success, um, compared to last year. Congratulations, so just, man. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Just really excited and really getting things, uh, you know, kind of taken off and moving 2024 in the right direction. Yep. Yeah. So. It's, it's funny that you said the, we got 12 things that are, at, you know, mostly done. <laughs> the Zeusai collection and me, I got a, I have a weird position here because I kind of function like a zoo director. Uh, but I was always the zoo curator before. And and so you understand if you don't quite understand the director is kind of the guy that's making decisions and then hands it off. And then the curator is the boots on the ground general that gets it done. Mm -hmm. And I, I have learned that I much prefer to be the boots on the ground general than (laughs) the guy behind the curtain. I don't like this job. And it's, and I, I'm fortunately, I find myself maybe micromanaging my people a little too much. Uh, But, uh, Last year we were in that exact boat. We had we had a wood turtle project that was eighty percent done. We had um, a python project that was eighty percent done. Our king snake colony upgrades were eighty percent done. And so twenty twenty four, it's really I, I've said when we had our first meeting of the year, like we are not starting any new projects until all of the old projects are one hundred percent done. Not 99% done. I mean, when the last nail is put in the board, it's done. And we don't get to do anything else until that's we, we've reached that point. So it's it's really funny because I, I know exactly where you're coming from. And it's weird. It like It's almost soul-sucking because you're like, you're getting stuff done, but you're not done. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 
I even step back and I look and I'm like, okay, so I've now invested money in these eight different projects that are all sitting here, not doing yet what they were, you know, are meant to be Mm -hmm. doing because just haven't completed them. So, all right, stop. Let's just focus, focus, you know, but Uh, nice. Well, should we tell everybody who our guest is tonight? I think so. I think you and I are both pretty excited about this. Oh, pumped. So tonight we have, uh, I know he's not going to like this, but basically a living legend in herpetoculture. We have Craig Trumbauer is our uh, guest tonight, and we're going to be talking. A lot of people have requested a pitch office heavy episode, and um, this is perfect because we literally have the guy that's writing the book uh, on our show. Uh, Craig is going to be writing a book for Eco, and we're going to be talking about the book, talking about Craig's history with pitch office talking about how you can possibly help out with the book. And then we're just going to, you know, Craig is known for his stories and we can't wait to have some recorded for all of her history on our show tonight. So that's what the episode is. This is going to be a good one. Um, But before we move on to Craig, we have our typical uh, business bit. So I, do you want to do the market? Do you want me to do science? I don't care which, who goes first. Go ahead. You can take this one. Okay, I'll go first this time. So two things with the science update. Um, I'm going to sh- change things up. Uh, I, I, the last couple, when we actually had one, I talked about a journal article that I thought everybody should get. And this go around, I want to actually promote another podcast. And it's not a herpetoculture podcast. It's actually a herpetology podcast. Um, and Jason Hood, who's an avid listener of our show and a guest, uh, he messaged me and, and said, I want to, he loved the science update. And he actually said, it reminds me of the old Herp Society meetings, hearing a talk. Are there any Herp podcasts like that? And I thought, well, hell yeah, there is. And it's um, Snake Talk, which the Orient Society puts out. Uh, but there's, if, if you like this part of the show, you need to hunt this podcast down and give it a listen. The episodes are relatively short. They're about an hour, sometimes an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, but they're always good, and pretty much all the prominent snake scientists that have that are currently working in the United States uh, have been interviewed there, so you can also get an idea. But there's one particular episode that I want to talk about, because I've brought these organisms up a couple times when I talk about Burmese pythons, because everybody gets pissy about the Burmese pythons. And I've said multiple times that the thing that worries me about the pythons is not the pythons per se, but it's the little crustaceans that are crawling around in their lungs, which are called penistomes, because the penistomes are a parasite that we have native penistomes in North America. They infest our our native snakes. But the species that was most likely brought over with the berms from Asia, uh, it's a gnarly, nasty thing. And when it gets into our snakes, especially in Florida, uh, they don't really have an immunity to it. So there's not an, an automatic immune response. And what that does is it causes a tremendous amount of inflammation. And where our native species of penistomes don't hurt uh, the snakes too much, uh, these invasive species absolutely do. And that's the part that that bothers me about the berms. And I had a couple people, when I've mentioned that on the podcast, reach out to me and say, hey, I'd like to learn more about that. Well, there is a PhD candidate. I think she is at the University of Florida. I could be wrong with the school. Her name's um, Jenna Palamasano. And she does all things penistome in this episode. It's episode 93. And I've listened to it three times. And I don't listen to any podcast more than once because it's just, it's easy to listen to. She takes a really complex 
Parasite and, you know, reduces it down so anybody can understand it. And it really kind of gets the message home. And one of the reasons, one of the things they discuss in this is herpetoculture's tie-in. And I really like the episode because it's a great example of where you have a management conservation concern that herpetoculture is involved in. And Jenna does a really good job of simply saying, we need to watch out for this. You need to be aware of this. This is a thing. But there's no shaming of herpetoculture. There's no boogeyman effect. Uh, and it's just really, really well done. And basically what happened is a banded water snake, Florida water snake, uh, Nerodia fasciata piscivorus, if you want to call it that, whatever you want to call it, in the pet trade was exported out of Florida up, I think, to Wisconsin or Illinois, somewhere in that part of the world. And when it ended up you know, being owned by an owner, one of these parasites crawled out of it when it I don't know if it passed away, but the parasite definitely crawled out because they'll do that. They'll infest the lungs to a point where they're so dense that they do. There's some roundworms that do this. They just basically leave on their own to get some air. Well, the parasite was was snagged. Wasn't I the person that was trying to ID it realized that's not the one that, that I'm used to. Sent it off to um, I believe Jenna's group, and then it was identified as this invasive species from Florida. And it also shows why it's important for herpetoculturalists to just be aware. Like we have to be good stewards of these things. Um, and if you think about it, these you learn in the podcast that the female penistomes, if they've successfully mated, they're releasing hundreds of thousands of eggs in every um, fecal movement. Um, and they go over the life cycle, all that stuff. So, you know, quarantining is a good you know practice. This is why you should do that if you're getting these wild snakes. So I, uh, have nothing but good things to say about that podcast. Give it a listen, but we're not going to talk about a paper. I'm going to encourage you all to go listen to that particular episode because you can learn a lot. And then the other thing I want to talk about is because uh, uh, Roy and I have promised to do this. Um, I listened to Project Herpeticulture, Roy's plug-in, International Herpetological Symposium on his podcast. We're doing it on ours. Um, Roy, Phil, and I have met, and we're we're putting together our list of potential speakers for the herpetoculture session. And um, it's a good list. I'm excited about it. It's not snake centric. It's herpetoculture. So we're trying to get some amphibian people there, turtle people there, lizard people there, mm -hmm. amphibian people, you know, snake people. But um, yeah, if we can get this lineup, I, I'm pretty positive. The people listening to this that are more science minded definitely would, you should definitely consider going. Uh, and plus we're sharing the day that we go behind the scenes at Knoxville zoo in Knoxville Zoo, they have one of the, the more recent herpetoculture collections. Uh, they have a brand new building. Uh, so, you know, you get to have your cake and eat it too. So that's my update. So what do you have? It's good stuff, man. I like that mm -hmm. update. Interesting. Right. All right. Uh, so first, um, just to make sure that anyone knows if they, uh, if they leave notes when placing an order online with Metazotics, I do read them. Uh, so Elam, if I'm saying your name correctly, uh, I want to make sure that uh, you hear that I, I'm telling Zach, Elam wants an episode where you just go crazy about crawdads. So <laughs> that, that was it. I had an order come through and that's what it said. was. I mean, we can do that. CCR oh, request. <laughs> just thought that was great. So I want to yeah. make sure that that got shouted out. But Maybe uh, we do crayfish snakes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Snakes that eat crayfish. Dude. How about that? So. 
All right. Um, as far as the market update, there's going to be a little changed from the last episode. Uh, but I will tell you, let's see. I think that this episode is probably going to drop, uh, either the seventh or eighth. Uh, so Wednesday, Thursday. Um, if you are listening to this episode on February 7th or February 8th, um, when it first comes out, then this weekend, the weekend that is about to happen, uh, that's when taxes will start hitting. That's when you will start seeing that pickup. Um, it was this weekend last year that I instantly saw the increase, um, and it will continue, uh, from now through April. So, uh, if you are an individual who, um, has animals that you're looking to, to find new homes, um, participate in local shows, um, make sure you get, uh, things posted online wherever you use. Um, this is definitely going to, you're going to see the pickup. You know, it's going to change. Um, the, another piece I uh, saw, so I was talking with Darian from Morph Market, um, I think last week sometime. And, uh, there's some, some kinks and things that they're working through. However, um, he is on board with providing some analytics for us so that we can continue to have some nice, uh, market data, um, for the market update. Um, and, and if you're a listener, poking for me. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> I want Darian to tell me, you know, quit having people message me. So, uh, mm-hmm. message Darian and tell him uh, how much you guys want him to, to give me reports <laughs> on, there you go. on Morph Market. Uh, I think he'll get a kick out of that. But, uh, I, I do, there, there is a piece for the market update that I want to, to mention it in. It's, it's an adjustment on something we said last episode. I said, um, I guess part of this is going to be a little bit of clarification. Part of it's going to be me walking back a statement as well. Um, you know, we've talked before about uh, one of the things that's great about our show is we, we admit when we've changed our mind on something, we admit when we've done something wrong. And there's something I do want to, to, to kind of step back on a little. And we were talking about auctions last, uh, last episode. And one of the statements that I believe I made was, the sales price of an auction is kind of the market price, you know, of the animal. And that's not going to be completely true. And a, a friend on Facebook had made a post about auctions and, you know, I read it and really digested it. And there was some, some valid points, you know, one of which is you do have a limited audience. So it's, you know, we say that a, a mark, excuse me, an auction price is the market price. It's the market price of that group of people that happen to be looking at it. Um, there's also a psyche that's involved in auctions where if you have two people that are, that really want that animal, that animal is going to go higher than if you have a dozen people who are just semi interested in it. And, and that was good. But you also have a lot of individuals who may see that animal. Um, and let's say an animal's at $300, you know, at that point. Well, if, if I knew, yeah, I'd get that for $300, I absolutely would bid on it because I want that animal. But there's so many of us that think, well, it's not going to go for that. So we don't even bid in the first place. So there are a lot of nuances that come into auctions. And, you know, I, I so I do think it's probably fair to not say that a, a closing auction price is the market price. Um, and another point I made on the last episode was it will 
go to a uh, – oh, we, we just lost Craig, guys. But hopefully he'll bounce back. Um, <laughs> so an auction can fluctuate, meaning you can have the same animal posted at different times of the year, and you'll see it go for different amounts. But it also depends on what eyes are on it. Um, so I kind of wanted to step that back a little bit and say that it's not a true market um, – you know, market price. However, another thing I did want to say, so, you know, if, if you're listening to that, you may take that statement as auctions are, are bad because it's not a true market price. And that's not the case either from a seller, a seller standpoint, because it may not go for a price that you're after. However, if you put an animal on auction, you're pretty much guaranteed a sale. You're guaranteed that it's going to go home somewhere else. It just may not go for as high of a price as what you wanted. Um, and there may be times that you're okay with that. So uh, all in, I think that auctions do have their place, you know, in the hobby. However, it's not always going to be what we think it is. It's not always going to be the, the highlight. So you're going to have some ups, you're going to have some downs and just take it for what it is. Utilize it uh, how you want to, when you want to. Um, and I would also say if there's an animal that you like, don't be afraid to place a bid because you never know. You may just get something at a, at a very good, good rate. So very cool for the market. That's what I've got. I like that. I like alternative ways of thinking about things, mm-hmm. presenting multiple arguments that, you know, critical thinking. We all need to do more of it. <laughs> and that's the thing is, you know, we we preach on here that we're we're never so experienced to stop learning. There's always new ways. There's always new information. And if even if we fully believe, you know, something in our mind, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? After thinking about that a little more, I now have this opinion (laughs) on it. That's perfectly okay. Perfectly okay. Well said. Thank you. All righty. Are we ready to jump in? Yes. Okay. So with us today, Mr. Craig Trumbauer. Um, author of several books already, More Than Snake Hunting. Uh, and then there's a second volume to that. And then he's on our show, obviously, The Kluber Show, to talk about Pitch Office. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I want to see if he's doing well. So how you doing, Craig? All well? Doing well. Doing well. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, I feel um, um, feel really well. All right. First, Good. First 75. Yes, excellent. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you, you've been on a handful of podcasts before and and I've I've listened to several of them. One of them was done by um our good friends, our parent show with Eric uh, and Owen and and everybody else um Morelia Python Radio. Uh and in that one they we kind of get into your backstory and you know you worked with Crotalus a lot and you've been doing this forever. Um and I I I want to save that episode for that origin story. I'm going to kind of, this is the only thing we didn't talk about before the show that I want you to explain to people because I think it's wonderful. Um, but, but you are the origin of this idea of Planet Snake Tune. Can, can you tell the audience what Planet Snake Tune is to you, where you came up with this, what it means, and, and why, you know, it, it should be a love, but there's things in life that, that may be more important or a part of it or just kind of do your whole ethos on it, if you don't mind. Yeah, I you know I um I'm getting a lot of reverb here. I don't know if I just hit something <laughs> here, but uh okay. Sorry. Um That's okay. Um yeah, the planet snake tune, you know, mythical little statement um 
but uh, I, I use it a lot to try to get all of us together. Um, uh, academics, herpetology, herpetoculture, uh, the novice, naturalists, all of us. And it also involves our families. Yes. Because our families are a big part of this. Um, whether you're an academic mm-hmm. or a casual herpetoculturist, I mean, let's face it, uh, our families are involved in this. So, um, yeah, so I plan to, the, the plant snake tune is about all of us. Um, and, uh, um, I use it freely and generically, but, uh, um, it's kind of stuck here recently, but, uh, um, I think it works. Oh, I know it works. I, I use it in my herpetology class. I was, <laughs> so, you know, yeah, good, good. <laughs> Well, I, if, if I, if I'm remembered for anything, uh, there you go. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, I, I was, I was trying to get across to the students that when you, I was trying, they asked me in one of my classes, it was a lab. I, I, I can't remember if it was a lab or we were driving, um, this past fall when we were doing our, what we call the zoo cruise, where we go to the Toledo zoo, Detroit zoo, Cleveland zoo. And one of them said like, you just never really stop. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And and they're like, you, you can't turn it off. And then they actually started talking about my son, Colin. And, and you know, Colin has been kind of absorbed into this. Um, and that's and, and they asked, like, does does he like this stuff? And I was like, well, yeah, he likes this stuff. Uh, and and they were like, but what the hell is your house like? <laughs> and I was trying to, like, verbalize what this is. And I was like, well, there's this guy named Craig Trumbach. He talks about this thing, Planet Snake Tune. And then, you know, and I was like, holy crap, like, I got to use this for the rest of my life because you're, you're, you're damn right. It's not for, for those of us that don't put this down and it's not a pervasive thing uh, because of the family component. Like my wife is part of Planet Snake Tune, whether she wants to be or not. <laughs> yep. There you go. You know, so we, anyway. We pictures hanging on our walls <laughs> and we... Mm-hmm. We have books stacked up and we mm-hmm. have cages and tanks and overflow things that we promised our spouses wouldn't come into the house. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's the planet snake turn. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of giving our listeners <laughs> the, your tie to colubrids, which is an interesting one because historically you're you're probably bo- most well known for your venomous collection which we talked about you know more species of crotalus were owned by you than maybe anybody um and i know that you know that's certainly a point of pride but as you said earlier you know colubrids have been pretty much part of the game since the the beginning so where where do colubrids fall and when you think back on you know your years of being a herpetoculturalist colubrids have always been there not been there will be there i mean obviously they're important now so what role have they played in your history? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't, I, I've, I've never really separated yep. crotalids and boas and pythons yeah. and colubrids. I, I've always had uh, kind of a touch of this and a touch of that. It's, um, I don't, well, I kind of get it. I understand it, but I, I don't, I'm not part of that separatist movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I used the word in that last broadcast um, with the Python guys about passion. You know, it's my favorite yeah. word. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really passionate about this and um been doing it for like 60 years. And, um, you know, so many people jump in and jump out. Oh, yeah. They jump in and then, uh, well, I'm not going to do boas and pythons anymore. I'm going to do 
you know, Clubrids, or I'm out of Clubrids, and uh, I'm going to get better and more complicated and be a boa guy or something. I, I, yeah. I just don't get into that. I, you know, I, I love it all. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, Clubrids fit nicely at 75. Yeah. <laughs> I really can't take another venomous bite. It's not something to brag about. Uh, if, mm-hmm. uh, I've been bitten. And if you're bit, it's your fault. It's always your fault. Always your fault. Mm-hmm. Follow the rules. So, um, 75, it was time, a lot of grandkids. So mm-hmm. transition back to, um, really, um, well, I've got a couple of little boas and things, but, um, really transition back to Clubrids. And, and I don't, um, I don't really follow what's in and what's out and what's, yep. out and what's not. I, you know, um, I, I go to one or two shows a year, um, because I, I give away most of my stuff, but I, but I do sell stuff. I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, and, um, you know, it just, uh, um, it, it works for me. It fits nicely. Um, and, um, uh, gosh, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I sell my passion because I, I don't, yeah. I have stuff on the table that people go, wow, what's that? You know, tell me about it. And there's the passion. Well, let me tell you about this. Right. And, this right. Mm-hmm. and, um, so when you walk around a show, uh, you know, you see a lot of the same thing and I'm not, I'm not knocking ball python people or anybody else because I love all you guys. Um, but you know, when you walk around a show, um, you know, it's nice to see something different. And, and, uh, and I think I have different stuff on the table and, um, and it, it works. I mean, I, I sell the stuff I take and uh, I have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of old good customers. Uh, <laughs> we stick together, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of basically it, you know. So uh, let's. Uh, I want to take take a step back, I guess. So even before talking about when you got to Clubrids or what was the beginning like? Like, what was the first animal? Or, I'm sorry, first snake that you kept. What what started the passion? I, 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 I wrote about that in my book because it was important for me to tell those stories. Um, not that they're unique and so special because we all have these stories and I just not, had an opportunity to get it in print. Um, but, uh, you know, I, w- I was a kid on an Air Force base in Arkansas. I was 10. Uh, my dad was a very famous World War II P-51 pilot and we were stationed in Little Rock and he hated snakes and I was down at the creek. And I, I shot a ribbon snake with a BB gun and, um, I had a wonderful teacher that left an impression on me in his fourth or fifth grade. And, you know, she asked me why I killed the snake. And I said, well, it's a snake. You kill snakes. And she made me go to the library to do a book report on snakes. Nice. So, little, so Schmidt's <laughs> little handbook of snakes, that little tiny mm-hmm. book, I have. Yep. 40 copies in this house because whenever we go to an auction, <laughs> I buy them because nice. it started things. And I went down that creek a week later and I caught another ribbon snake and it started everything. I brought it back and my mom let me keep it in an old tackle box so my dad wouldn't find it. And, <laughs> you know, not too long after that, he was killed in an accident. Oh. And um, I went and lived with my grandparents uh, on a farm in Missouri. And I had a wonderful grandmother who um, 
Uh, I got there. I was an angry kid. I, I very different time back then. You didn't have time to grieve and there were no counseling mm -hmm. and, um, it was a traumatic death and I was with him. And oh. uh, I got to that farm and grandfather gave me a 22 and I shot the hell out of everything I could find that was living. And, uh, I shot a mockingbird, shot a swing off and came in and my grandmother said, sit down here. And we sat in the front porch and she had a old cotton dress on. And she said, why are you killing all these animals? And I asked her if that mockingbird was going to live. And she said, no, it's not. And I, I cried for an hour. I can still smell that cotton Muslim dress. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge change in me. And, uh, so next day I was out and I caught a snake. And she was all in on that. No more murder. <laughs> and no. I, had summer, I, I had a huge population of snakes. So we kept. Um, and I, it, there's a chapter in my book called Yola in the Farm. And I, I, it, I'm not going to go into detail about this, but it talks about it from catching mice to, you know, I came back home and back, back then there was no FedEx or UPS. There was Railway Express and they would ship anything. And we got a knock on the door and it was this, uh, six foot long screened in box <laughs> with about 20 species all together. <laughs> Uh, I sent home 20. I only got 19 because the speckled king snake, uh, ate a small black rat snake. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, you know, it just, uh, it, it started, it took me from a bad place. Um, mm -hmm. you know, who knows where I would have gone, um, yeah. uh, with that childhood and raised, uh, then, you know, by a single mom. And it, uh, it, it just, it took me to so many wonderful places. Uh, I, I've had such a great life. Um, because of that interest, I feel so fortunate. Uh, I'm not a religious guy, but, uh, I, I feel blessed. I like that word that, uh, that snakes found me or I found snakes. And, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a great thing. So it was on. Once that started, there was no turning back. We, we would go around the neighborhoods and back then they had old television sets and they were in cabinets. And the picture tube would go out and people would put them out on the street, you know, to be picked up by the trash. And I discovered if you took the picture tube out, you had a glass front and a box and you could make snake cages. So uh, Zenith, uh -huh. old Zeniths were the best. So I, I, I had a room with 20 television sets in it. it was, <laughs> That's fantastic. With snakes in it. So, um, you know, it started a great thing. And, um, uh, you know, so that passion is still alive today and will be with me when it's all over with. And I'm very fortunate to have that. And I, I, I would like to see other people really find that. Uh, it's a little different today because there's the, the money thing. And I, I don't know, you know, a lot of people are, but you see a lot of people, you look in their eyes and you walk around and you don't see that passion. And, mm -hmm. uh, no. you know, um, so. Well, yeah, so that's, I, it's kind of how it started. Have to say a big kudos to your, your teacher and your grandmother. I mean, <laughs> it sounds like, uh, I mean, that was about the best way to handle situation like that. I mean, well, with just, the most positive outcome. Well, just a wonderful thing. You know, she let me walk around that place and shoot everything, get it all out of my system. You know, I was angry. I, my dad fell off a boat and, uh, prop hit him. I jumped off the back and 
um, I was underwater and um, reached out. You could see his hand reaching for me, and he disappeared in the water. And um, so wow. it's traumatic. It's traumatic. But you know, big military funeral, but and nobody ever counseled you or anything. They always talked to you. It just you suck it up back then, you know. And so that uh, that old Muslim dress and apron and grandmother and that was a great summer. Great summer for me. And uh, um, so, uh, but you know, you know, if you really start asking everybody, everybody uh, with snakes, they have their own story. You know, my books yep. are just just my stories. Yeah. You you guys could write the same books, and and I would read every one of them because we have unique stories about what launched us, and and what is this thing, uh, this craziness you know uh, to me it's not crazy but this craziness about the planet snake tune this this that we're so passionate passionate about these yeah. things and these 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 guys and um i just golly life's good it's great yeah you know so absolutely yeah well with with all the colubrids in the world i mean you know we, we've got a lot of species out there what's what's pointed you at Pitiophis now. Well, you know, why why the bulls, the gophers, the pines? Well, golly. Um you, you, you know, um well, here again, an old story, and I want to sit here as an old guy telling old stories before you guys, but um no. <laughs> you know my mom, We want it. <laughs> well, I'm gonna give it to you. So um <laughs> I used to go down to Ralph Curtis, uh, down South Florida. Um, I kind of grew up in Serpentarium. Uh, Bill Haas used to flirt with my wife. He was quite the womanizer and uh, a great man. Took me under his wing and stuff. But a little later, I go down to Ralph Curtis down there, and he, he would sell snakes. Hit, hell, they had elephants and hippos, and you, you could buy anything you wanted. And um, I, I saw a great basin gopher snake, and I'd been studying, man. I read all those three books about snakes that were out there. That was it, <laughs> you know. And uh, so there was a Zerticola, and I wanted that thing. And I told my mom that I'd, you know, mow the yard 10 times and wash the car 10 times. And she made me sign a contract, put it in the family Bible. Now, you put that thing in the <laughs> damn Bible, buddy. You know, you got to, yeah, there ain't any backing out, right? Uh, the fear of God. So um, I got that Zerticola, and it kind of launched it. Uh, you know, the thing hissed at me. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> the lamaniform part of the epiglottis that little wing that's yep. i stuck my nose down there and got bit but i'm trying to what is that and where's that coming from and you know and found out they don't have two lungs they have one lung and um the color and then they got big and so you know it kind of stuck with me and um so it is a favorite and then from there um uh, Louis Porras did me a favor. He was a good friend and was a uh, friend of Heckard at the Abilene Zoo. And they had a wild-caught albino bull, uh, I think the first one uh, in captivity. And um, he got me a pair of hats. And I actually produced them a year ahead of the zoo, I believe. So I got the first albinos, which, by the way, uh, and then I coupled up with Norm Dam, who had an anry from Colorado. Norm's uh, Norm's older than I and uh, so we got together and did the one in 16 thing back then. Got uh -huh. the first snow, which is, uh, in my mind, is always knocking all the gray color <laughs> out of an animal <laughs> to get a yellow slug. <laughs> but mm -hmm. you, you do it because it's one in 16. 
Yep. So, um, <laughs> and out of that came the first white-sided bull snake ever. We don't know where these genes came from. And there was a hypo in there and everything else you expected. There were Andrews, albinos, the one in 16, and normal-looking, you know, gene carriers. But I got two of these white-sided things, and I didn't name them white-sided. Uh, I, I kind of prefer kind of partialistic or, you know, however that gene works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but that kind of launched it. And from there, you know, I just, I, I started making snakes and kind of got into the morphing. And, um, and we'll discuss a little bit later, which, by, by the way, you're not creating these genes. You're just fast forwarding. Yeah. And and Gregor Mendel would would love this uh, <laughs> genetics. He he would go, this is so damn cool, <laughs> you know. This mm-hmm. is great. This is great. I can take it off paper, and now I can see results. And if you think about it, uh, herpetoculture has really done that genetically. Um, you, you know, um, uh, we we we've showed how to do things. We've displayed that. We've taken it off of paper. Uh, punit squares and things and showed you visuals. So I, it's a big thing in genetics. And I love that part of it. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with it. I'm not really big into hybridizing, that kind of stuff. But um, I don't I don't see any problem with that, you know, at all. You know, Bern Bechtel was was a great friend, yeah. a, a doctor. And um, we did a lot of stuff together. And um, he really got into that. And, and it just it got my interest really stoked. Uh, I mean, I used to shuttle corn snakes from him up to North Carolina State Museum in Palmer up there when they were doing the first albino corn snakes, the the very first stuff. And um, so I really got into that. And uh, to this day, I still find it fascinating. I, I, you know, I can't, uh, people will send me stuff all the time with, with bull snakes and things. And they go, Wow, Craig, this this is your Trumbauer line or a Trumbauer morph or a Trumbauer. <laughs> I've never seen that saying in my life. Thanks, thanks for the Trump, thanks for the tr- <laughs> thanks for the Trumbauer guys. I have no idea what you're talking about or where this thing came from. Um, but but I think it's cool. And, and you know, I always want to say, well, how was that made? And you know, you walk around ball pythons, and God, man, I, I think Eco did the second one. It was like fourteen, fifteen yeah. hundred. I mean, I, who knows? You know, and. Insane the number. Well, I don't know. And uh, I don't really need to know, you know. Um, it, it, it's like lo- locality snakes and things. Just tell me where a snake's from, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make things kind of easy. I don't need to, uh, to know how you made something to appreciate it. I mean, let's face it. You walk around. You, you may not be a ball python person. I like it all. I walk around, look at all those things. And today, and I, look, I remember when, when we had ball pythons, we called them royal pythons. And when we started, they were five-foot animals. I think the record's over six feet. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, You can yeah. go down to Miami and Chase will get a shipment in, and there are four- and five-footers there, full of ticks. But, I mean, they're, they're big royal pythons. They're ball pythons. And you don't, you don't see that today. But would you, you take it from there, and you walk around a show, and I look at Linda, and I go, you know what? Good God, how in the world do you come up with that color? <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> I mean, shark repellent orange, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's really cool. I, I don't, I don't really, I don't have a problem with that. We'll discuss that a little bit later, uh, in, briefly. I, I just have a few things to say about all of it. No, all good. But, uh, you know, so I've, I've fully gotten into that and then uh, did a lot of collecting in my lifetime. Uh, uh, 
didn't take a lot of stuff. I never went out and took everything. I'd take one or two things and pair up wild things because back then, that's what you did. There wasn't anybody selling snakes. So very right. few. Yeah. There were a couple of ads in the back of field and stream and, you know, <laughs> and uh, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. So, um, uh, and, and some really wonderful memories on collecting trips. Just some, just some great stuff. So, uh, and still a big, handsome, tough snake, you know. I mean, yep. um, I always advertise myself as a tough guy just to scare everybody off. I was never very tough, but, you know, <laughs> pe- people bought into that. So, you know, um, but a big, tough, handsome snake, you know, that has mm-hmm. something to say when you pick it up. Well, on that line, how did you end up with the offer to write the book? Uh, we talked a little bit before the show, but I think it's it would be cool. And in case people don't know, I'm, the title of the book is going to be The Complete Pitch Office, A Reference Guide for the Identification, Care, and Breeding of Bull, Pine, and Gopher Snakes. To say that I am jazzed about this book is the understatement of the year. Um, uh, but how did this come to be? Because I, I love the backstory on this kind of thing. All right. Well, um, so Bob Ashley's a friend. I mean, he's like a son. You know, I I, I love the hell out of that guy because, um, look, there, there's there's talkers and doers. Yep. And, and you know, especially when it comes to publishing and 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 writing a book. And, you know, if you write a book, you find out really quick. There's a lot of people that are going to criticize you. You, you. you better have some big shoulders, broad shoulders. And, and that's OK, because you put it out there and people are going to critique it. But there are always those that never do anything. All they do is criticize sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, uh, I. I, for me, you know, Bob, Bob said, well, I want you to write the picture of book. And I said, well, I'm not the guy. Yeah. You know, I'm not an academic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really all that smart. And, um, uh, I've just been around a long time and he, he was insistent. I said, nah, you know, uh, and uh, finally I gave it, Bob's a good guy. And uh, talking about the doers and the not doers, he's a doer. He just built yep. the world's biggest herpetological library. It's a great place. Um, and, uh, he publishes a lot of things where he doesn't make any money. And as you know, it's a big layout. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, sometimes I investigate some of that. So it takes kind of a minimum of, I think, 40 grand or something to, mm-hmm. to lay stuff out and put it out there. And so it's a big deal, you know, and, and, and Bob does those things fully aware of the fact that on some books, he just wants to try to break even. So, um, Anyway, he asked me to do it, and I agreed to do it. And uh, I'm, you know, sticking a pencil in my eye every day for saying I would do it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but here I am. And so, you know, you already the intent of the book, um, and it, it, it fits the complete series, which which I think is a good series. I'm not really fond of the word complete because it's it's the book can't be complete. It's it's not an academic pursuit, um, but it has to be meaningful. So, um, so I wrote this. I'm just going to read it. Uh, when I first started doing this, uh, I, this is to fulfill a need for a basic reference book for the genus Pitchiophis, touching on the rudimentary aspects of understanding, identifying, keeping, and breeding the different species and subspecies in this genus. An easily read book for the beginner enthusiast, naturalist, avocational herpetologist, and uh, herpetoculturist, as, as well as an academic. You know, I, I'd like this book to be a reference book that, you know, somebody says, hey, hey, wait, wait, where's that map range? 
you know, on, mm-hmm. on, on the nectins or something, you know, or something. And you just grab the book and you go to that piece. It has the basics in it. So I'm writing this book in the style of write and write. And I, it's, it's, I'm surprised at how many people, 40 and 50 year olds, they go write and write. Write and write wrote the quintessential. Best oh, write and write. Yes. yes. I know that book. Yeah. Yeah. It probably <laughs> didn't make it out of the mustache. So he gets filled. So, uh, yeah. So write and write. Um, there are handbooks one and two. Uh, and, and I stole my first pair. I've got them over here on the table from the University of Florida. It's mm-hmm. got UF on them. I owe them for that. So uh, <laughs> I've got several copies. Uh, and there's, they're still applicable today. It's kind of like stool and, and, and her scale counts, you know, done yep. in 1940. They don't change. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the only guy this year, by the way, that's read uh, Olive Stool's book, The Most Boring Thing in the World About Scale <laughs> Counts, from one yep. one end to the other. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, on on Pitchophis. So, um, but uh, um, anyway, um, so, um, yeah, where was I? I kind of lost... Uh, Oh, the, you're writing the book in the in the um in honor of write and write, like using that style. Yeah, yeah. So that so that that's very important to me. So, um, basically, what it, it that format has, you know, you open it up, um, you have a description of the snake, and then you have I love these iconic pictures. It has yep. the top of the head, the side of the face, you know, the venter and the dorsal. It's a, a great identifying key when somebody who doesn't know picks a snake up. And then you have, I didn't put all the scale counts in because I don't know very many people that pick the snake up and counts 40 (laughs) scales up to a V and back to the other side. But the important things are in there for identification and sexing snakes. So, uh, and then um, a lot of really good pictures, a a really good map and a a big map, uh, habitat description and coloration. Um, and, And so every species, subspecies will get treated with that. Um, oh, wow. Cool. And then the second half, um, I'll talk about within the limits of what I know, uh, breeding Pituophis, and there will be some morphs in there. Um, I, I'm not, nor do I want to include every morph that's out there. I, I want to do the basics and the things that, uh, uh, you know, started it and then some of the more spectacular things that are, that are pretty cool and talk about those things. So, um, uh, I'm, I'm hard at the cooperation I've gotten from across this country is, is, uh, almost makes me tearful. It's, it's been so wonderful. It's just, uh, I've got four or five PhDs that have <laughs> sent me stuff and, um, I, you know, just, uh, really, really wonderful stuff. And, uh, my problem now is trying to integrate everything and keep everything organized. <laughs> yep. I, 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 and you know how that is. Oh yeah. <laughs> I got photos all over the place. I, I can't even operate a computer. This, this <laughs> thing, I got the, on my computer, I got the note on there that said we can no longer support this old computer. Uh, basically, you're gonna have to buy a new computer because it, it won't support anything. It doesn't have the the drive and stuff. But I'm like Dave Barker. You're not changing. No, I'm 75, man. No new icons. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up the way I started, man. Leave me alone. Yep. You know? Yeah. So, so you know, so so that's where we are. And you know, I have a vision of how this should be. 
Um, we'll see after, <laughs> you know, they tear it apart and reassemble it. Um, but uh, I, I think it should be functional and useful for everybody. You know, um, I, I hope so. I, you know, I don't want to put something out there and embarrass uh, Bob or myself oh. or anybody else. But I, I hopefully it'll be useful and, um, and, and, and have a place out there, you know. And I think oh. that complete series has. I think that's done, done a pretty good job. I agree. I don't think there's been a complete series book that's come out that I've not been impressed with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so I love them. You're definitely in good company. Uh, mm-hmm. No doubt about that. How long have you been writing the book as of right now? Well, I started two years ago. Uh, I've had some some health problems. I, I, uh, I've got, a, in fact, I was a, an, an oncology registered nurse. I started a program where we did chemotherapy, radi- uh, not radiation, but chemotherapy and treatment in the homes of patients from there too sick to come in. Well, I got my diagnosis a few years ago and, um, and I've, I'm clean. I beat that now, but it, uh, even afterwards, it awesome. slowed me down for three years. I Very just good. really didn't feel good. It was pretty tough. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm surrounded by family and, and grandkids and stuff need some attention too. So family's always first on the planet's night tune. And, so a lot of it's on my part. There are some delays. There are some other delays too that are out of my control. Um, but uh, um, I get the syrup pot back in here. Um, there we go. There we go. Yeah, sorry. Oh, good. So, um, so really, so uh, kind of there we are. So two years ago, and I picked it back up about three months ago, and I'm hard at it. I'm doing six, seven hours a day, and wow. I'm trying to, you know, get it together. And it's coming together. I, I can see kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm, I've got about four subspecies yet to to do their parts, and I can start on the second half, which will be a little bit easier for me. And uh, so uh, Bob would like to have a book by October. It seems a little generous, uh, but uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> you'll see. Uh, I'll get my part done, and we'll we'll see. You know, go from well, there. So, so so far, what's been your favorite part of writing this book? Well, you know, you can't deny when people are sending you, uh, you know, pics. I mean, I, I'm back in the day where you know you had an instamatic and you took a picture and you sent it yeah. across. <laughs> Across the country to the Lemkes or, you know, the, the 12 of us that were into snakes, you know, and now it's just, uh, you know, my computer blows up uh, stuff. People send me stuff and I go, oh, my gosh, it's just crazy. Just, you know, insane. Uh, some of the pictures. So loving Pitchwolf is being able to, to dr- really view all of this stuff. And I, I put a little thing out there for some of the insular forms and some pics. And I have some, but I've gotten some really, really good stuff. Um so uh, the visual part's been really good. And, and I'll be honest with you, uh, getting back into looking at every species and subspecies and mm-hmm. reading everything you can read about it, um, I, I've enjoyed that. I really have. I mean, it's work, but I've really enjoyed it. I, I like that part of it. So, you know, yeah. yeah, that's my favorite part. Yeah. Uh, I, in, in the, my life, I don't get to focus on things that I like given where I am in my life with the fact that I'm in charge of a department and, you know, have a young family and all that. And and when I get to sneak away and just kind of nerd out with all that lit and it's, I, it's funny you talked about right and right, because I've been just buying every freaking any snakes of where heterodon lives. I bought it 
um, because I want to get all that in there, uh, very much like what you were talking about. But it's also very cathartic to me. I was wondering if it was cathartic to you to just kind of sit down, read these things, and then think about your experience with them. And it's just, it just feels good. I don't know how else to describe it other than that. Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. No, I totally agree with that. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, that's been just, just, you know, really, really wonderful. I mean, and here again, if you're not passionate, uh, about snakes, uh, you're not going to say I'm write a book. <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> you're not going to do it. And um, so, yeah, I th- I think so. Uh, you know, in, like in your case, I mean, look, I'm retired, so I, I have the time. You're working full time, and you know, you're you're directing animals, taking care of animals, and you're teaching, <laughs> you know, at the same time and doing all those things. So, hats off to you. Kudos for that because oh, uh, people don't understand. Uh, there's there's a big process. You don't just sit down and, and write stuff. And um, it's a big process to do that. But, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't do it at this age um, if if I really wasn't getting something out of it uh, as, far, as far as, uh, you know, um, stimulating that passion in my brain so cool well one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on to talk about this is our listeners are obviously into this group uh especially given the number of people who have asked for pitch off a specific episode so is there any way that a listener could help you out um do you still need more pictures well uh, i guess i have to be anything I, on that front yeah i'm sorry <laughs> um i you know, I have to be careful with that because yeah. um, uh, I put a little thing out there, not realizing, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, get my phone. I mean, everything just blew up, you know, and 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 it was and it's good. It's good. Uh, there 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 are uh, there are some things um, uh, here again, uh, back to the insular forms, uh, you know, um, uh, if. People have picks or uh, what, what I have like at right and right that I didn't explain at the end of those uh, descriptive uh, uh, parts of the book on the different species, subspecies, uh, right and right always they had a little story in there. And uh, I remember reading um, his wife was down Chisos Basin and found a bear rat snake. And at that time, it was, I, I think, the rarest snake in the country and found a bear rat snake. And it just that story just I mesmerized, man. That, that and that's out of a handbook, you know. And I, and I went, wow, this is so cool. So I wanted to replicate that. And so at the end, I have field notes by, and field notes aren't true academic field notes. These are just mm-hmm. these are stories or observations of interest to that subspecies or species. Oh, that. So I've invited different people who are doing different things. There are some academics that have done stuff. And uh, there are some that are just kind of funny observations, uh, but I think it works. So to that note, um, uh, any of the species and subspecies, uh, if if people have, uh, you know, a particular story of interest, um, not necessarily just a self-serving story, but, you know, something along the lines of the species, subspecies. Uh, you know, they could, they could contact me. And then, of course, uh, all those pituophis that live out on the islands that, um, Grismer and all the other people have had such debates on, are they species, subspecies? Uh, in a, a couple of them, we're not even sure they exist anymore. Uh, I know Cedros had a huge cat problem, you know, feral mm-hmm. cats that off the boats and things. And, um, um, uh, you know, I know that back when, uh, 
I had all the annuals, the four subspecies annuals, and then I think it was the sedros. Uh, you know, one of them was pretty well wiped out by cats, I believe. You know, I think so. Uh, but any any of that stuff in the island forms and stuff would help. Cool. Well, if you got them and you're listening, help Craig out because <laughs> uh, yeah, I need. I can't wait for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In so there many ways. Yeah. All righty. Well, I think we're going to segue on to just a couple. We asked Craig what he would want to talk about, and he he ponied up three different colubrids, and uh, we'll see how many we can get to him before we get to the final thing we want to talk about, which I'm looking forward to that. But keeping in line with Pitchophis, uh, tell us about your experiences with Pitchophis uh, linicula. I can never say this. Linaticolus. Lenaticolus gibsoni, the line yeah. pine snake. So I, I've kept these. Um, I loved them. Uh, I got mine from Jennifer Joseph, and I don't know what her lines were, but I, I had them for a while, and then I, I think I actually gave them back to Jen because uh, they weren't quite working out here at the school. Um, but yeah, what, what's your experience with with that wonderful pick? Well, um, and actually, I'm going to reveal this on your show. Um, I don't. I, I, I don't think I, I I don't think that Tom knows this. Uh Tom Mosey, um he's having his 80th birthday in California, Gary at Gary Keesler's. I'm going out to that. But Tom was instrumental in Pituophis and and uh, so much stuff. You worked at Cal Poly. Uh, I went collecting mm-hmm. with him years ago in, in Baja. Um but uh Tom is probably responsible um as far as I know for bringing in the first Lineaticolis. And uh, um, he worked under permits and some other things. But anyway, uh, in fact, I remember, I think my first ones were years ago. And um, I had a little Dell computer and I went online and and somebody had uh, 2.2 Linaticolis, Linaticolis, Middle American Gopher Snakes um, for sale. And I went, wow, it's crazy. (laughs) But then I thought about it, and I said, well, who are these coming from? And they said, well, he doesn't want to be known, so we're going to send you a picture. And it was a picture with the head cut off and the guy in coveralls. Well, Tom's Tom's a big guy, a uh, big fat guy. And he's not now. He's lost a lot of weight. And, but the big fat guy with coveralls, as soon as I saw the coveralls, I went, oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. And then they were expensive. But uh, he brought him in, a Ginter. Uh, went down there mm-hmm. and collected, brought some in. John did, uh, but very few people brought those in, and um, so um, and very little known about them. Uh, you know, pretty straightforward once you get going. Very different mm-hmm. snake. I've always looked at those snakes, and not being an academic, but you know, I look at them and I go, God, those things are somewhere between a gopher snake and a rat snake. Yep, you know, a giant hundred yeah. percent. They, they yeah. just just visually, which doesn't mean anything in academia, but uh, you look at them and you just go, wow, these things are just different. And they are different. Uh, mm-hmm. They have two two prefrontal scales uh, where all other Pitchiophis have four, except for Jani and Depii Depii. Um, so a little bit different. And those four, by the way, probably are kind of close. I don't know. It's kind of a stretch. Those two really are separated from everything and, and seem very different to me. And by the way, I, I, I've got a picture I'm putting in the book with Gary and I holding an eight-footer that turned out to be nine feet um, uh, wow. at, at the end. Uh, those things get 
very stout, very big, um, a very cool snake. And then more recently, uh, been able to come up with Gibson Eye, uh, the Guatemala gopher snake. And we're finding out more and more about that. Quetzal and a few guys have corresponded from over there, getting more information. Um, and we, we thought that uh, not nearly as attractive, I don't think, as a nominate form, um, and, and probably not as big, but now we're learning kind of differently. Yeah, these things get big as well. And Gary's, Gary's got a pair and he's spread them. I think he's the only guy I know that spread them three times. Um, there's, there's not that many out there, really. Um, and, um, I've got a pair here that, uh, I hope, um, uh, I hope will go, um, this year. And when you're 75, you know, this thing about wait until they're three or four. That's not happening. You know, <laughs> at nine months, they get paired up. You know, <laughs> I'm old. Um, but uh, no, I'm hoping those will go. And um, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really, really uh, uh, into those things. They're very cool snakes. So very um, cool. Uh, I think those are probably, you know, my, my favorites, uh, thing, I would say. I'm crossing my fingers here as well. I have, uh, this was, I've got a trio of Mexican line pines and, um, I got slugs this year. Yeah. It's first, uh, first shot at them. So I'm, I'm hoping that this next season does better, but that was, they were moved, you know, the, the whole collection was moved in the uh, early spring this time. Now they're going to be with me for a full year here at the facility. They've been, did, did you get a lot of slugs? I want, it was, wasn't a big clutch, not for that size of snake. Um, I want to say it was somewhere around, I think maybe nine, eight or nine. Yeah. Well, I got 32 in one clutch. Wow. Wow. Big snake. Yeah. They can lay some eggs. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, the first ones we got, um, I didn't treat them. Differently, you know, uh, with Gibson and I, you know, everybody's saying, well, you know, they're fall breeders and, uh, you know, Gary just put them down, brought them up. Um, and here again with that fall breeding thing, and I'm aware of that, especially with crotalids and stuff. Uh, you know, after a while, when things acclimate in your facility and the, you're, you're doing the same thing and the same thing, you'll see some transition from fall breeding to spring breeding and back and forth. It's not a natural environment. So things change a little bit. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, um, uh, they, they, they can lay some eggs and they can double clutch as well. So, um, you know, well, good luck with that because they're, they're wonderful snakes. They're really, really I appreciate it. You know, it, they're some of the subspecies there that it, when I would get online and do some research and see what I could find on, you know, things like that, you know, mm -hmm. ball breedings, spring breeding things, you can't find anything. So, well, you know what, it, it, when somebody... When that happens and there's not a lot of them out there and somebody has fall breeding, well, then that becomes written in stone. Right. You know, right. It, it's kind of like what you were saying at the beginning of the show, you know, about auctions uh, being the that's written in stone. That's the standard price. Well, that's 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 not true. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. just uh, there's there's a lot of different factors involved in that. So um, I, I, I tell people all the time, don't don't ever confuse wild snakes with captive snakes. Uh, things are just different. You know, they're they're in a box and I do that and I'm good with that. And and I do it right, I think. And um, 
and stuff, but uh, don't, don't confuse the two because things are very different. So, um, yeah, I put mine down, you know, the rest of mine. I'm bringing, bringing them up around February. And then with Pituophis, you know, I found in, you know, a lot of stuff, especially pine snakes, that uh, a lot of them in captivity will breed very early in February. Sometimes you can miss it. And uh, I didn't know a long time ago. So I, I look, I pair them up, lay them together. You know, it's it's kind of a kind of hard to do with two big six foot kind of snakes. You know, feeding them and putting them back together and stuff. I just leave them together, and then uh, I've done really well that way. You know, with doing that. So I'm a big fan of. Uh, in fact, the cover uh, photo is uh, Kentucky pine, and uh, I went to college in Kentucky for four years, and I I saw a pickled animal, and it was still yellow, and I went crazy, and I went to Mammoth Cave. I think where that pickle was from around that area. And I hunted for four years, of course, never found one. And then uh, kind of hooked up with Phil Peak. And uh, I think I think it took Phil like, I want to say 17 years to find one. And he, he hunts every day. He actually hunts for the state. Uh, he, Phil Peak uh, has got a thing going with the state. And, and I think he's going to be able to uh, do some re-releasing of the Kentucky pine under certain controlled conditions, kind of like the indigo thing in Oriole. So, uh, in fact, my babies will go to him. But uh, anyway, I got my first pair from from Phil. Um, courteous uh, um, as a courteous thing from Howie Sherman. So through that way. But uh, uh, it's a big seven-foot uh, lemon yellow snake and... Uh, it's it's going on the cover, and this is where I'll battle with uh, with Bob and Eco. Uh, it's it's a white background, and it's a big uh, Kentucky pine, and that's it. We're, we're not going to put <laughs> five hundred picture Russ Gurley pictures. And if Russell's listening, I love you, buddy. <laughs> we're, we're not going to put five hundred pictures on the front. So um, so that's another favorite too. Oh, can't hear you, Zach. Okay. Are you yeah. muted or anything, buddy? I can hear you, Craig. Zach's. Nope. Okay. Well, Zach's cut out there a little bit. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I want to ask about, you know, another, uh, another species that you've mentioned here. And, and this is new to me. And, and let me know if I'm saying this wrong. Lake Havasu. Havasu. Yeah. Havasu. Well, I'm Re- not, uh, you know, my California people are going to eat me up because I may have <laughs> it wrong too. Lake Havasu. Uh, and I, it, it's, uh, uh, right on the edge of California there. And um, uh, there's a, a, an Indian reservation around that area and some lands and some of the king snake, the population of California king snakes there. For most people, um, uh, just look like a narrow banded normal California king snake. But these things are really remarkable. Uh, in those uh, white, very white scales on a thin band, or a very black snake, it has a little black freckle or dot in the middle of each white scale, which is really cool. I it just did. It, it, and how that happened, I don't know. But it's pretty cool. And unlike anything else I've seen, I've had a lot of California king snakes and um, in fact, it's the only two I have right now, but I, I, golly, I think they're just really cool. Um, so I'm hoping uh, they're a little young, but like I said, at 75, they're going together. So I'm hoping to breed those things, but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's, I think there's only a couple of captive pair. And, um, so, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's another project. So and it's very and, interesting. And a number of corn snakes. I have my line of 
uh, Okatees and, and mixed some with Howie. Uh, uh, I go back to early days, um, Caulfield days, you know, hunting Okatee. And uh, in fact, uh, um, I Howie Sherman was out there um, at the same time. And a uh, real quick, funny story about Howie. There's a lot of funny stories about Howie. Let's be honest. <laughs> Isn't he? Howie, Howie was a pharmacist. That probably, explain, probably explains <laughs> it, right? So, so um, yeah, so this is a true story. So uh, Ridgeland, um, he got arrested um, collecting on private land without permission, and which a lot of people did, you know, back in the day. And um, I got arrested, and they put him in the tank there in the jail, the little Ridgeland jail, like Barney Fife and the deputy, you know, two of them in there. And he picked up that tin cup that was in there for water, and he starts raking it across the bars. And he goes, he goes, I'm being abused. I need a lawyer. It's just, you know, Howie, you have to know Howie. Howie is ridiculous. That's and he was loud. And this was going on for 30 minutes. And finally, uh, the one guy, the, the sheriff in charge says, get him the hell out of here. You know, let him go. I don't want him anymore. That's a true story. So I completely uh, believe it. I yeah, completely yeah. believe it. Howie, but, uh I was lucky enough to get some uh, Okatees from Howie uh, at a Daytona show. We're talking years and years ago. It, it's you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and yeah, he's always been, been a hoot to any stories I've heard about him. And the, the line he was working with his Okatees, they, they got big. You're talking six footers, you know, out there. Well, well, uh, here's the thing. And we see this lot, uh, in captive snakes, by the way. Um, you know, just line breeding and stuff. Um, I hunted one day, uh, I was hunting a burn and I had, I got permission. I got to know a lot of the keepers and actually one guy left a key for me and we could lock the gate behind us to have the whole plantation to ourselves, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. And, uh, it just rained and it was a burn and, uh, out of a classic stump as, uh, you know, Caulfield would call hurricanes. Um, uh, is this mammoth corn snake crawling out of there? And it measured 5'11. True story. Wow. 30 minutes later, and that was a male. And 30 minutes later, I caught a tape measured six foot female. <laughs> Never even came close to catching two corn snakes that big. I think five foot was the biggest one I ever caught before, after that. They were giant. Um, I brought them home. Uh, Louis Portis went nuts. He was a good friend, and they wound up in the in the Berlin Zoo. <laughs> wow! As a pair, uh, I didn't sell them. I gave them, and he sent them over there. And then the Berlin Zoo—that's that's a true story. So, uh, corn snakes do get big. Um, my grandson, his uh, he's sixteen, and he's had a corn snake. I gave him for eleven eleven years ago, and that snake is probably five and a half. So, um. But Okatee animals were big. Uh, the, the misconception about Okatee is that, you know, you could hunt and you could find one that looked like it came from North Florida, just butt ugly. Yeah. And then you could find a classic black-bordered corn, which you which you didn't see is after line breading. And, you know, Howie's are, are the best and mine are pretty good, too. Um, you, you you just you keep back stuff and the color has gotten, you know, just so, so much better. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what you're seeing out of those lines from animals and stuff, you, you, you would never really see in, in South Carolina coastal corns. You know, they were pretty. They were so much better than, you know, uh, most of the other stuff. But uh, um, that's just uh, 30 years of line breeding, you know.
Yeah, agreed. Uh, well, let's see. We have one more. I, and real quick for for our audience, so so you know what's happening here right now. Something's going on with Zach's audio where we can't hear him at all. Now I can see him on video, and, and so I can see how sad Zach is right now because he also can't jump off and jump on because he's the one who's controlling the recording. So at this point, Zach just has to sit back, listen, and watch. And it's it's kind of funny from where I'm sitting, to be honest with you. But just so everybody knows why you will no longer hear Zach for the rest of this episode, he's been put in timeout. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so we have one other uh, species here that uh, we've got on our list to chat with you about, and that's Baird's rat snakes. Okay. I got a lot of bears. All right. So, and I, you know what? This was my first year producing Baird's. Um, you know, I've got, uh, got a hypo and a couple of head hypo females and, uh, the, it, exciting. I, I was really thrilled to get to work with these and, um, uh, produce some, some nice babies, held a couple back for myself. Um, and, and I think that this is definitely an underrated species. I've mentioned that on the show before. It's one of those that unless you know what you're looking at, when you're looking at a baby, you would be uninterested. But man, do they not grow into something gorgeous? No, they really do. I I think I produced the first one. Um, wow! It just it popped out, and, and in fact, I have a second line of hypos. You do it long enough, and things pop out. It's like Howie's uh, red zep. You know, the single albino, spontaneous birth albino that came out of Okatiz. So, um, and uh, they're they're spectacular. Um, they're a very different rat snake. You know, they're 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 a scrub desert rat snake and montane rat snake. And uh, I lived out there for ten years, and I just uh, I've got fifteen, I think, here. Uh, I've got some of Tim Spuckler's animals that are um, double heads, um, so they should produce a lot of some of the first, you know, different stuff. It's going to come out mm-hmm. of there. Um, I just I got into it through Tony Dongera, who. Um, um, I've said I'd take um, 1.3 so we can get the breeding project kind of done. Um, he's got an anery bears, which, you know, for most people, it just it's it's just a gray snake. Uh, it's so cool, though. It has black eyes and stuff. So I want one of those. And But I love bears rat snakes. I love their personalities. Um, uh, they're a different rat snake when you keep long enough. Uh, they're hardy. They're just really cool. And by the way, the eastern uh, most extreme range, I'm trying to recall that little town um, uh, in Texas. Um, Gary Keeser had a pair. Gary Keefe snakes for, you know, he never gets rid of them. They're like 50 years old or something. You know, <laughs> it seems. Uh, but he had a pair of uh, six-foot Baird's rat snakes um, that were pure Baird's. Uh, there's no intervention there. And I'm trying to remember that line, but it's the extreme eastern part of their range. So you keep them long enough to get fairly big. Not all populations. Um, but uh, one of my hypos is pretty big. Not that big for sure. Um, but uh, love Baird's rat snakes. So... There's one other thing on that, on the little subject that I want to have. I want to say a little something about uh, about the morph people and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, and that's that's where we're going to move next. Normally, when we're about to uh, to to come to a close on uh, on the show, we normally ask a a question in honor of Matt uh, Matt Most, our buddy. 
And we, we ask about the, the direction of the hobby and, and what our guest thinks of that. Well, the question today, it's, it falls in line with that. Um, but we're going to kind of take in a different direction. And what we want to know about is locality versus morph breeders and morph keepers. And, and what your thoughts are there, Craig? Well, you know, look. Look, a plant snake, too. I want everyone to kind of get over themselves and get along. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's what I hear, and, I, and I've heard this a, a lot. The, the the locality people somehow, and I'm not slamming anybody. Look, I have locality snakes. I get it, and I have morphs. Um, but the locality people, you know, are some some sometimes can be a little bit superior to to the morph crowd, and and. You know, you you get this back and forth stuff and you see it on social media and stuff. So let me put a couple of things out there. There's nothing wrong with the morph thing. And nobody's creating these genes. We're just fast forwarding them. Mm-hmm. And 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 by doing that, it's very interesting um to to see what happens. These these aren't wild populations of snakes. These are are things that we've just fast forwarded. So to that point, when you say you're a locality specific breeder. I have some questions for you. And the first question is, is that when you breed that pair of black gap alterna and you get a clutch and you hold back one or two animals, you hold back the tens. You don't hold back a five. You hold back a 10. I do it. You do it. I've never met anybody that can look me in the eye and go, yeah, I just kept the average ones. <laughs> I kept you the know, uglies. <laughs> well, well you, you can't help it. You can't do, you just can't do it. And, yeah. you know, black cat population animals, I just use that, are, are really you know, speckled, busy, and crazy-looking animals. Anyway, they're pretty cool, pretty variable. So, um, and uh, if, you know, Brian Box is listening or something, is there's I'm not this isn't directed to you, Brian. I love you. You knew your dad, everything else, but... When you line breed for 10 years, you finally get a product that's still black cap, but you would never find that in the wild, or the chances are really remote. So you have really kind of visually a whole different snake. And, and, and so locality-specific people, yeah, you started with locality-specific animals that were F1s, and 20 years from now, the, the, the clutches and things are, are not quite the same because of selective breeding. So are you really a true locality breeder? You're not keeping the average animals. If you kept the average animals, the ones in the middle that look like the original population animals, you'd be producing probably more locality type animals. So what I'm saying there is that, you know, uh, come on guys, these are captive snakes. It's, 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 it's a lot different than wild stuff. So let's have a little bit more tolerance here. The, the, the more, the more thing, the more things, okay, it may not be your thing, but, but you're, you're not any worse or better or anything than the, the other guy. So uh, let, let's kind of enjoy the industry. It's become an industry. You may like that or you may not. I mean, a lot of us old guys, Weren't even sure we were going to like this kind of thing, you know, selling snakes. But, you know, here we are, and I'm okay with it. And, you know, it's captive stuff. And uh, I'd like to see people get along a little bit better. I don't don't like going to shows and have people come up to my table and say, God, it's just a ball python show. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not. Go out there and walk around. Spend some time. 
You know, I met a graduate student that had nothing but, I call them keeled green snakes, but I was corrected saying they're called rough green snakes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, old school, he had nothing but rough green snakes on the table, three generations. That's all he did is breed green snakes. That was the coolest thing in the whole show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Absolutely. So, How often do you see that? Yeah, I mean, that's me. Well, no, that's no. I, in fact, I went back and uh, I told Lynn, I said, zip that thing down. I'm going to go buy a pair of snakes. She goes, well, who are you buying? I said, a pair of kill green snakes. And she goes, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to be looking for caterpillars in the yard or, you know, I mean, I don't know. So I'm just saying, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more friendly atmosphere, a little bit more human kindness uh, with all of us. And uh, look, I, I have locality animals. So I have more stuff and I think it's okay. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that you are are spot on with that. And I think it goes even further than, than localities and morphs, it goes to this species or that species, whether it's ball pythons, crested geckos, you know, this tortoise, bearded dragons, colubra, any of it. I, I think that it, to your point, if we all could just be more, more tolerant of each other, it's just because it's not something you love doesn't mean you, you have to down on the individual that does love it because, you know, you know we're in it together. You know, well, yeah, be nice, be nice. Yes. And, and, you know, I told you, I think before the show, you know, uh, it's, not, it's something I I tell people all the time. Somebody told me once, you know, never miss a good opportunity to shut up. Well, you know, <laughs> if you walk around a show and you shut up, sometimes you might learn something. Yeah, just, you know, stop at a ball python table and ask somebody, you know, um, go like, wow, man, you know, mm-hmm. how, how in the world of that color you know, it, it ever become on the Glidden paint chart, chart of colors for snakes. I mean, you see things you you never saw. I think that's very interesting. I, you know, uh, so um, come on, let's take a step back and enjoy what's out there and be nice to one another. And, uh, you know, if you're truly passionate uh, about all this stuff, then uh, um, some of those comments will stop and you'll just enjoy what we have. Absolutely. Well, you know, Craig, I think that you of of all the guests that we've had on with the the years of experience that you have in the hobby the from from collecting from you know being the first to put some you know out there into the hobby and the years that you have spent in it all the changes that I'm sure you've witnessed we we do want to pose that final question to you where do you think herpticulture is going where do you see this hobby moving What's it going to look like in the next 10 years? Yeah, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't really think it matters. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, okay. Well, 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 no, 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 what I'm saying to that is, well, of course it matters. But what I'm saying is, you know, uh, the financial part, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been hearing, for five years that ball pythons are dead and, you know, nobody's going to sell any. And, and I've heard that with colubrids and I've heard that with other stuff and everything. I don't really pay any attention to that. Here again, back to the word passion. Uh, the passion of people will always go to a show and they will always yes. read things and they will yes. always put things on the table and have a nice time. And, you know, uh, I'll give you some advice. I mean, if you're doing this just to get rich overnight, you know, good luck. Um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, I, there, there's a handful, uh, you know, Brian Barsic, uh, you know, God rest him. I knew him since he was really young and worked at post office and, 
and stuff. And some people do. Some people can turn it into something in, in a real industry, and people have. But for the average person, I mean, don't quit your day job to get rich overnight. Uh, be passionate about this. And if you're going to sell snakes, and I think that's okay, uh, go get some vacation money and take your wife, who's put up with all this stuff, on vacation now, on a trip or something. But um, I, where it's going, um, I, I, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. You will you will never kill that passion, um, whatever it is that that people have about certain things. Uh, you can't kill it. Legislation, law, nothing's ever going to kill kill that in me. Now you know you, you could come and take my collection away tomorrow, and I have enough friends. I'd have a new one the next day. I, I, I'm just, I'm just saying. And and my my son's a captain in law enforcement, not in fish and game, but and I have great respect for for the law, and uh, never been arrested by anybody. So look like it, but I hadn't. But uh, um, no, I'm just saying. I I I I think it's bright. I look. I, I've done every show in Daytona. Back to Orlando. It's one of the only shows I do, and I go and and I hear the same stuff every year. It's the last show. It's the end. You know, they're selling out. It's 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 terrible, and nobody's buying. And uh, well, look, I tell people I, I sell out every show, every show. Mm-hmm. I never take an animal home. And you you want to know why that is? It's not it's not because of who I am. I don't think. Um, I stand up. I never sit down. Every kid that comes by, I let him hold a snake. I talk to him about snakes. I ask him about it. You know, I give I give a corn snake to a kid that can't af- afford it. You know, you 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 really. If you're not passionate, you don't do that. You sit there with your legs crossed, and you're painful looking at your watch. You know, hoping you sell a snake so you get out of there and eat or something. You know, I walk around. I, I'm you know I'm a crabby old guy said get off your lawn you know i tell people stand up be nice talk to somebody yes get that kid yes. a snake it's not gonna kill you you get that kid a snake let me give you a real quick story here um and and uh so uh linda and i were to show a few years ago and uh uh we we saw this real tall guy uh, come in taller, taller than Jason hood this guy's about 610 so he had really, to be tall then <laughs> really tall guy and I and he walked. And I said, "Oh gosh, Len, look how tall this guy is!" And he's walking, he's walking, he's walking. I said, "Wow, he's walking over this way. Look at this guy, man!" And he walks right up to the table. And I went, "Wow, I don't know what to say." He goes, "Yeah, I know I'm tall. Okay, you are tall." I said, "We were watching you come in. You walked right up to the table." And he said, "Yeah." He said, um, "I'm going to tell you a real quick story because I only have a few minutes." He said, "I drove over here from Orlando to see you." Because I saw on the list that you were going to be here, and you you don't remember me, but I was here um, as a kid. My mom couldn't afford to buy a corn snake. I wanted and you. You gave me a pair of corn snakes, and I just want to let you know I just got my PhD in herpetology. Wow! And you started that. I gave me so, goosebumps. So I'll tell wow. you what: you never know, right? You never know, and I want to see more of that. Um, you know, or, uh, you know, you're going to get, you get off my lawn guy, you know, let's be nice to one another. And uh, look, I, where this is going, uh, you know, I, I don't know, but there will always be a show. So there's a lot of shows. There's a lot of competition. 
but there, there's always going to be shows. There's always going to be this interest and this passion. And, and uh, herpetoculture is here to stay. We it took a long time to figure it out. I mean, when we started, you couldn't breed anything. You know, we're, we're putting, you know, dimes in our phones at home and calling across the country, you know, talking at night going, yeah, how do you think you breed this one? You know, and <laughs> so it's here. It's here to stay. And I think it's okay. Yeah, I agree. I, I I don't think that it could go away at this point. Well, I, I, I don't think there, it could. There, look, a lot of people are not passionate, but there are too many people that really are. Mm-hmm. And, and they will find each other. And, and the what? passionate people will find each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's okay. There's a lot worse things going on in the world today, right? Mm-hmm. So, than, than, and people in a show with some snakes. And, uh, um, and uh, I think it's okay. So... Um, you know, and to that light, I'd like to see a little bit more of herpetoculture and uh, academic herpetology kind of come together too. Yeah, so, uh, and that's it. There's, there, I'm, I'm going to IHS. I haven't seen the new zoo, but Terry Vandeventer and I, I'm carving a, a lepidus box, and he's making a knife for it. We did this in Orlando, and it did. I think it raised eight thousand bucks at the auction for the wow uh, for the auction. And so IHS has asked us to do that. We're so we're we're going to do that there. Um, and, uh, I'll be anxious to, to see that and, uh, mingle, mingle, mingle with our hairy greens and smart people and, uh, hope they accept uh, some of us, uh, uh, herpetoculturist. Um, oh, actually Harry's a good guy. Um, uh, and most of them are, but I'd like to see a little bit more of that interaction. And just to let everyone know, Zach is over here just flailing, wishing he could jump in during this part of the conversation. <laughs> uh, on the last episode, IHS is what Zach talked about on the science update. And, uh, I mean, he, he's super stoked for it. And, uh, uh, you know, you talking about herpetoculture and, uh, herpetology coming together. It, it's something that, you know, Zach and I have talked a lot about on what we can continue to do for, for our little part, you know, our little show and, and what we do to try to continue to move that forward, uh, to where those two worlds can continue to, instead of colliding, uniting, you know, and, and really making things happen because I think that both segments can learn from each other in, yeah, in a I, big I, way. I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. I agree. And I, I think we'll see more of that. I really do. I, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Craig, it's been just fantastic having you on here. Um, you know, both Zach and I were, were just so happy when you agreed to come on board. Um, and, uh, it's really been a pleasure to, to get to speak and, and speak with you and, and pick your brain. Um, if, if anyone has, you know, the, the stories or, or the pictures with the localities, how can they get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, just um, uh, probably uh, uh, email uh, uh, Craig Trumbauer at gmail.com. You got it. You got it. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. Appreciate you too. Uh, you know, I, I think you do a really, a really good thing. And um, it's uh, um, the whole, you know, the whole technological world is snuck up on me and stuff, but I think it's a great thing. And I listen to some podcasts and, um, and uh, uh, continue to do what you do. I like your formats. I like your guests. I like, you know, um, what all of you guys do. So thank you so much. Uh, well, I will be doing the closing for the first time, because as you all know, this is normally Zach's thing. 
Um, well, if you want to reach Zach, you can reach him at, uh, on Instagram, Dr. Crawdad or Zach Loman on Facebook. Uh, if you want to reach me, you can reach me on Facebook at Clint Bartley or under uh, Metazotics on Instagram. It's Metazotics LLC. And of course, you can email me at Metazotics at gmail.com. And please, please, if you haven't yet, uh, get on the Colubrid and Colubroid Radio Facebook page. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Um, I think that we will continue to update there regularly with a lot more uh, content and things that are going on. Uh, we will give you sneak peeks on uh, what guests are, are coming on uh, and what we've got in the lineup. So uh, please get on there and, and follow us. Uh, thanks again to you, Craig. Uh, we, we really appreciate you being here. And to everyone, whether you're listening morning, noon, or night, uh, we hope that you have had a, a great, uh, great day. Take care. All right. Okay, thank you. Love you guys. Love you. Love you.